Good morning again. It's good to see you all here as it gets chillier. I'm so grateful that it's not that cold in this building. Um, but it's good to be with you all. Um, it's, my, it's my privilege and joy to continue in this sermon series that we've been in, that we've entitled James, Faith in Action. Um, and we're looking at the book of James, talking about how our faith impacts the way that we live. Now, two weeks ago, Craig started out our series saying how our faith in God should move us beyond shallow change, mere behavior modification, and it should cause deep transformation that works itself out through our actions. This transformation is not but it is deep. Last week, Devin continued our, our series and talked about how James related to the teachings of Paul and to Jesus and how faith is not an exemption for us from compassion and obedience, but that true faith and religion are tied to compassion through our deeds. Now, if you're tracking with us, if you're following along, whether you're, you're joining us in person on Sundays or you're joining us online for worship, I want to encourage you, as Craig did a couple of weeks ago, to actually read through the book of James. It's not very long, but it calls us to, to deeply and seriously engage and consider what we believe and the life that God has called his people to. But today, we're, we're looking at the third chapter of James, reading from verses 1 to 18. So uh, would you join me and read along in your Bibles or on, on the screens, James chapter 3, verse 1 to 18. This is what it says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. 
and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of God. Now in this third chapter of of his letter, James talks about our words, our speech. And today I wanna share on two points, and the first is that our words are works, which we've talked about. The second is that our words are revealing. And I'll end by answering the question or addressing the question, what should we do? And so our first point for the day, our words are works. And by that I mean they have impact and they matter. I, and uh, likely many of you, grew up with a a very um, interesting idiom that had the goal of raising resilience in children against verbal bullying. And to prove that point, I'll say the first half and ask that with all the gusto and enthusiasm, you respond with the second half. Don't get nervous, I'm sure it'll it'll happen. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Oh, thank you. But we know that's not true. (laughs) While we know it's not true, it's so easy to overlook the weight and impact of our words, isn't it? In the passage we read, James starts warning teachers Regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, we know that there's a special weight to the words of those in positions of teaching, respect, leadership, and influence. Whether or not they're given titles of teacher or educator, pastor or preacher, manager or CEO, mayor or president, or even the modern social media influencer. But this passage on words, on speech, and their weight go far beyond a warning for people in positions like these. We know that words matter even between significant others, partners, spouses, between parents and children, between friends, and even between strangers. Our words have real impact. And in looking at our passage, I wanna start by saying that our words are works, not disconnected or separated from everything else we've been talking about. James talks about this impact of our words um, and presents a slew of illustrations, some of which we can can understand more readily, maybe about like forest fires and things like that. Some we can kind of understand. I've been on a horse twice in my life. I don't fully understand the power of a bit. The closest I've gotten to to steering a ship is probably on like a rafting trip, doing it very poorly, right? But James uses these progressively intense illustrations to show how the the impact our words can have, calling it a fire that corrupts, a poison, a world of evil for the body. To give us just a a fairly tame example of the weight of words, a little about me. I'm the son of of two Korean-American immigrants. My parents were both the first of their respective families to come to, to the U.S., They both have very little when they got here, worked whatever jobs they could get, eventually met, got married, and had two sons. Now, growing up in in our household, there were certain phrases that were used, um, whether said to me, said to my brother, said between my parents, and it shaped the way that I viewed the world. Now, one of them, uh, which I honestly only hear in Korean in my mind, um, is basically translated, if you go out, we'll just be spending money, so just stay home. (laughs) Just stay home. Now, as a teenager, this didn't always go the way my parents wanted, Um, but as I grew up and began to make my own decisions around uh, money, around lifestyle, I found actually that spending money on opportunities, hobbies, leisure, anything that I thought was beyond what was the bare necessities of life felt wrong. 
And over the years, I slowly learned that I needed to put in work to shift the way that I thought about how I spent my money. And that phrase that was used in my home and others like it widened the gap between my parents and me, between their deepest concerns and, and real fears around building a family in a new country, in a new world, and my deepest dreams and desires as a child growing up in New York. And also my desire to see my parents enjoy the fruit of their hard work. The gap was big, and, and even today we work through it. Even today, long after this phrase has been retired, it plays a part in my relationship with my money, as well as uh, uh, it plays a role in the conversations that I have with my parents. Now, my parents never intended for any of this, any of this, right? They, they, they weren't thinking of trying to you know, deprive me or hold me back from opportunities to explore and develop my own interests. They weren't. Um, they didn't have any kind of malice. They, they were really uh, coming from this mindset and, and from real experience of not having enough to make ends meet, of trying to be tight and as frugal as possible. It wasn't malicious. It, wasn't, it didn't have a reprimanding tone to me, um, at least not all of the time. Uh, on average, I'll say that it was a neutral tone, a neutral phrase. See, my parents were thinking of my good. My parents were thinking of our good, to live and to thrive. But the impact of those words went far beyond their intent and tone. And all this to say, it's even a neutral phrase that in the scope of talking about the power of words is mild and tame, had so much impact. And there are plenty of words that we hear, that we even speak, that are not neutral, that have malice, that have ill intent and tone. Plenty of words that we seem to almost spill out in a sloppy and grotesque manner, merely out of frustration, angst, resentment, fear, or even just to fill an uncomfortable silence. James says this, with it, with our words, we bless our Lord and Father, we worship him, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, these things ought not to be so. So our words matter. They have impact and power. And in light of looking at the book of James, our words are works. They matter to God and are deeply tied to our faith, our worship, and our life with him. That brings me to our second point, which is words are revealing. And by that, I mean that they're tied to what's inside. Church, it feels like I've been with Hope Jersey City for quite some time. Uh, it's actually very disorienting. Um, I started in January, so if you're new to the church, like, welcome. I'm here with you. Like, it's weird, like, COVID and, like, shutdown and starting to come in person and meeting all of these people all at once. It's a bit overwhelming in the best way, right? And when I joined Hope Jersey City in January, one of the things that I honestly wasn't able to do as much as I normally like because of the circumstances of the time is to ask people to tell me stories about the church. Usually by asking, what's your favorite memory with the church? And I like this question over questions that can be answered by statements on a website because a statement about self or about anything else presents values that are lived out to, to varying degrees, but stories, stories that people remember, stories that people choose to tell, give a better picture of what's meaningful and what's valuable. If you find that stories, interactions over time, jokes um, that we make over, over the years 
Maybe another way to talk about all of these words is to say the words that we live and breathe rather than the statements that we make. These words give us a better picture of a person with a deeper vision of, of their color. And just as a quick side note, as much as I did get to hear early stories about our church, the Harvest Festival from two years ago was one of the, the big highlights out of like the three big ones that I can remember. Um, so it was really such a joy to be a part of that yesterday, to see the community to come together. Um, but to bring us back, our words show a deeper and more accurate picture of who we are, of what's inside. And in verse 11, James goes into this second list of illustrations that mirror Jesus' teaching in Matthew 12, where he says that a tree is recognized by its fruit. James says this, does a, uh, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. After that, he follows with a warning that with envy and selfish ambition, there's disorder and every evil practice. Consider this, when we function from a place of insecurity, comparing ourselves to others, needing to prove our worth, we can get really desperate to use whatever we can to cover ourselves. We can resort to putting people down, puffing ourselves up, all in order to hide insecurity, fear of not being enough, of being rejected or embarrassed. Rather than owning a mistake and apologizing, it feels like a win to point out the mistakes of whomever we feel threatened by. Rather than saying the simple words of, I don't know, it feels stronger to belittle or to redirect. Rather than admit that we've been hurt, it feels more secure to toughen up and maybe even retaliate. Rather than being vulnerable or standing against a trend or current, it feels safer to isolate, disengage, and remain silent. And that's barely scratching the surface on how we can get disgustingly crafty with our words to try to hide, protect, or prove ourselves. But in the end, we know that it's, it's not helpful. Those words end up hurting people, even people we love, people made in the image of God. And we flippantly spew these words that catch like wildfire, infect like poison, like the evil that James describes in the lives of others, but also in our own lives, and phrase at the relationships in between. The NIV, the New International Version, so tactfully translates this as wisdom in quotes. And in describing this, James again uses progressively intense language, escalating to calling it demonic. Now, in contrast, James says that wisdom that comes from above, from God, is first of all pure. Last week, Devlin talked about James's use of that phrase of a pure religion, where faith brings out deep transformation, obedience to God, compassion for others. And this wisdom from above works itself out through our lives in a life marked by peacemaking, gentleness, being open to reason, being humble, full of mercy, goodness, impartiality, insincerity. Brothers and sisters, Christians, we are called to love God and love others in our deeds, in our works, and with our words. 
to hear and share stories with sincerity and impartiality, even with those who, who, who have stories that might be so different from our own. To create and enter conversations with humility and a heart of making peace with those whom we might not see eye to eye with. And even those who adamantly oppose what we believe. To use our words to meet hurt people with patience and compassion to speak the truth in love that we would grow in our love and life with God together. It's a lot. It's a lot. That brings me to our final question of what should we do? Now in preparing the sermon, I was a bit overwhelmed because it is a lot. And we could talk so much about any single point that I've presented here today of how our words have so much impact and they really matter, of how our words are tied to what's inside, the negative of how envy and selfish ambition can translate into toxicity, how the positive of how God has called us to use our words in love. Any of these we could spend weeks talking about. But I want to focus in on what the goal is by reminding us of something Craig brought up at the start of the series. See, James, um, in this letter, can come across almost like this drill sergeant, really hard, really, really um, being, being intense. But the call in the, in the book of James is not perfection, is not that everyone be perfect, to be afraid of getting out of line or saying the wrong thing. See, that's not the goal. Actually, it's adamantly not the goal. In verse 2, James says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. In verse 7, he says, for every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. He's not setting this weird goal that we should try to strive and, and, and pull teeth and bend over backwards to try to attain this thing. He's describing an unattainable state because we know that on this side of eternity, we won't be perfect. In verse 13, James goes on to say, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good works, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. And this language of, of good life, showing it by their good life, other translators have used the language of saying good behavior, of good conduct. This word is one that goes far deeper than the deeds and things we do, the words and how correct they are. They talk about maybe what we might call one's way or manner of life. And adding that to this unattainable picture of perfection in verse two, we're called to be known for this kind of life. Known for love, known for the love that God has called us to. Knowing well enough that we won't be perfect. And that shouldn't cause despair, but it should spur humility. And lastly, in verse 14, and this is really the crux of answering the question of what do we do, James says this, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth knowing that we won't be perfect on this, knowing that in our words, in our hearts, in our deeds, we won't be perfect, knowing that we are prone to wander and in need of God's grace, when we try to cover, hide, or deny this, we deny the truth. And that false witness that we present declares that our goal is actually perfection. That false witness that we present actually says we'll be accepted if only we are good enough. 
That false witness says that the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is not enough. But brothers and sisters, those who believe in Christ and his work, we're called righteous because of his righteousness. We're accepted because he is accepted. We're, we're good enough because he was and is enough. Even in our mistakes, our imperfect words, our imperfect works. And by this, I don't mean to say at all that we're excused from doing the good work to grow in using our words well as God has called us. Rather, I mean to say that we're freed, we're liberated from this debilitating and crushing standard of perfection so that we can look to a better, more glorious, and more joyful goal. And that's to love God and love others. And so as the worship team comes back, I want to invite us and create space for us to take inventory of where we are and to bring that to God. Maybe some of you know of areas in your life or even people in your lives with whom you don't use your words as well as you'd like to. The way that James describes, the way that you know is, is what would be pleasing to the Lord. Would you take this time to ask God to help you to see what's inside, to ask for wisdom and compassion to love well? Pray to see others as God sees them, made beautifully and precious in his image, that you would see them as those needing his kindness and compassion just as you and I need his kindness and compassion. Maybe some of you this morning What's on the forefront is how you've been hurt by words from others. Would you bring that pain to God? Ask him to speak his truth through his word to remind you, to remind you that he is indeed sovereign, powerful, and almighty God who made you beautifully and precious and that with Christ you are loved and accepted. For all of us here, we know our words have impact. Would you take time to pray that God would shape our hearts and our words, our lives, our way of life, to reflect his love 